Turning your Bibles this evening to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 16. The Gospel of Luke and chapter 16 will be reading together verses 1 through 13. It's here now, the Word of God. Luke 16, beginning with verse 1. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. And he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, Who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are not only concerned about our souls, you are concerned about every aspect of our lives, about our physical possessions, about the way we live here and now, day by day. And Lord, we pray that you would use your word and your spirit to direct us, to instruct us, to teach us this night how to live for your glory and the good of your people. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we were looking at three different parables that the Lord Jesus gives each of which were designed to teach his disciples about three things, their lost condition, the hope of being found, and the joy 
of being brought near to God, of being welcomed by him, as it were, with open arms, like the father receiving the prodigal son, and then being blessed by him with unmeasured gifts of grace and goodness. Now, many of you, brothers and sisters, as I look across this congregation, many of you are very familiar with this work of grace that God has wrought in your heart. You know what it is to have received the spirit of adoption, to be made sons and daughters in God's family. We are his people, and he is our God. And you know what it is to have the spirit of adoption within you, whereby we can cry out, Abba, Father, he is our loving Father. But that, of course, raises a very important question. If we've been brought into the family of God, if we've been made a part of his family, and we now have the hope of heaven and a hope of eternity, now what? What do we do until Jesus comes back? Do we just sit around and strum our harps and sing hymns and wait till Jesus returns? What do we do? The answer to that question is answered by this next parable. And in short, what we see is that if we have been made part of God's family, we are going to have a passion. We are going to have a desire. We're going to have a hunger and a thirst to serve him and to serve him with all the gifts of grace that he has bestowed, with all the blessings that he has given us, both physical and spiritual. We're going to use our abilities. We're going to use our time, our money, our homes. We're going to use everything we have, our worldly possessions, to serve And be a faithful steward of God himself. Now the parable gives us three particular items that I think help us to kind of get a feel for what it is that Jesus wants us to see. What it is that he wants us to do. Number one is by using your worldly possessions wisely. We serve him, but we need to be wise in the way we use what he has given us. The second thing is by thinking about our worldly possessions biblically. And I can tell you right now, it's going to be completely different from what this world is constantly telling us to do with those possessions. So we want to think about our worldly possessions biblically. And then lastly, to bring those worldly possessions into 
submission. Not just to our will, but into submission to Christ as our king and our master. So let's look at these three elements in more detail now. Number one, using your worldly possessions wisely. Now, when you read this parable, it's probably not new to you. It's not one of the more well-known parables. But nonetheless, if you've read your Bibles very much, you're going to be familiar with the story. The parable describes a very rich man who has recently discovered that one of his top stewards, one of his top servants or managers of his affairs, has been wasting his goods. And so in verse 2, he calls the servant and he says, I've heard some bad things about you. Turn in your books, your, all your accounts today because you're fired. It's over. You're no longer going to be my servant. Now, it's interesting. The servant does not protest. He does not contest the accusations made against him. He's guilty. And he knows it. And he knows that his master knows it. So he doesn't try to defend himself. The one question on his mind is, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm losing my job. I'm losing my position with my, my master. What am I going to do? Digging is not an option. That's just too hard. I don't know how many of you, like I, started out as a common laborer on a construction crew. And my job was to dig footings for buildings. It was not fun. It was not easy. And this man said, no way, I'm not doing that. It's too hard. And then he said, begging, that, that's out of the question because that's too humiliating. I'm, I'm, I would be ashamed to stand on the street corner and beg for food and for money. Instead, he decides this is what he's going to do. In his mind, he is thinking, what I need is to make some friends quickly. And so he begins to call one after another. Verses 5 through 7 describes, listen, what 5 through 7 shows us, this man just continues in his crookedness and in his deceitfulness and in his dishonesty. He is an unrighteous servant. It is not that he thinks, if I collect a lot of money really quick, I can keep my job. He knows that's not an option. What he's trying to do is to make friends of those people that owe. And so what he does is he calls them in and he's cooking the books. He hasn't changed. He's not convicted of his sin. He's not looking for the right thing to do. He just keeps being dishonest. He's cheating his master out of half or more of what he is owed and so he tells the, the debtors, look, you owe 100, sit down and write 50. I'm going to change the registry to say account paid in full. He's still being dishonest. He's still being deceitful. He's cheating his master out of yet more. 
And he's changing the record books to reflect that. Now the amazing thing is that we read in verse 8 that the master commended him. I don't know about you, but the first time and the second time and the third time probably that I read this, I was like, how can that be? Here's a crooked, dishonest, unfaithful steward. Why is he being commended? How can that possibly happen? Well, we'll say a little bit more about that in just a moment. For now, I want you to notice, this is why it's so important to pay close attention to the text. This man is not commended for his dishonesty. He's commended for his shrewdness. Shortly, his wisdom, for the way that he was able to respond. The man was smart, wicked, but smart. And it was the way he was clever. He was very wise in the way that he used the situation, in the way that he could take the short time that he had left till sundown, and the way that he could use the means, the goods still at his disposal to secure for himself a future that he could make friends who would receive him when he was removed from his position. Now, our Savior's comment at the end of verse 8 is striking. Look at it. Luke 16 and verse 8. The master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. And then our Savior says, the sons of this world, unbelievers, are often more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light, believers. It's really a valuable lesson to learn. Many times, the people of this world, unbelievers that have no concern for God or God's law, are more shrewd. They handle things with wisdom. They deal with it in a smarter way than believers do. Now, don't misunderstand this picture because what Jesus is saying is not, he's he's not recommending that we should follow this man's dishonesty or follow his sinful ways. The point of the parable is that we learn to use the good gifts God has given us with wisdom, that we use them wisely, that we use them with an eye towards spiritual fruit and spiritual gain. Now, my friends, this is not the first time that Jesus has preached on this topic. If you turn back to Matthew chapter 10, 
Matthew chapter 10, we find Jesus sending out the 12 two by two. He is sending them out to preach the gospel. And one of the things that he tells them in verse 16 is, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You know what happens usually to sheep when a wolf is around? Jesus tells them, be wise, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You need wisdom. This, this imagery is, is <laughs> very uh, uh, special to me because of my appreciation for snakes. Snakes are very wise. If you encounter a snake when you're walking through the woods, if you give that snake half a chance, he will go the other way. Snakes, by definition, do not like confrontation. The only reason they will strike is if they are threatened. Now, there may be some exceptions like common water snakes. They're just plain mean. They will bite you for fun, but they won't hurt you. All right? But generally speaking, snakes are very wise, and you give them an opportunity, they will turn and go the other way. On the other hand, if they're pursuing food, they will move very slowly and very quietly until they are in position where they can strike and obtain what he's after. These serpents are very wise. And Jesus saying, be wise as serpents. We need to use the good gifts God has given us in a wise and understanding way. Now look at verse 9 of our text. Jesus says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon or money, that when they fail or it fails, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, do you understand what Jesus is saying? He's drawing a, a striking contrast here. This man, this unfaithful steward, used the goods that he had and the time and the energy and the opportunity that he had in order to secure an earthly future for himself. He wanted to make friends that would receive him into their homes when he no longer had a place to stay. Jesus says, you, on the other hand, must learn how to use your possessions for a very different end. You need to use your goods and the blessings that you have been given to secure a heavenly future. You need to think about how will this be used for my everlasting home? You want to make friends like this 
uh, unfaithful steward, but you want to use your possessions, your time, your knowledge, your relationships to make friends for yourselves, friends that at the end of the age will welcome you into heaven. Do you see the point? Jesus says we need to be wise. We need to use what God has given us for spiritual ends, for that ultimate goal of bringing others. You need to ask yourself every day, what can I do? What can I say? How can I respond in this or that situation to help other people know Christ? What is it that I can do in a wise way that will make friends who one day will greet me in heaven? So every day, when you think about what's coming, what you're going to do, the people you're going to be with, how can I use this situation? How can I take the resources God has given me? And brethren, we have been blessed exceedingly. We have so much compared to much of this world. And we need to use it. And we need to use it wisely. We need to use it for spiritual good. Eternal good. Well, secondly, we need to think about our worldly possessions biblically. Now, using our worldly possessions in a proper way is going to demand much wisdom. But it's also going to demand that we think biblically about these things. And verses 10 through 12 give us three elements about worldly possessions. The first is this. At the worldly possessions that we have are the least important of our concerns in our lives. Our worldly possessions are the least important concern that we have in our lives. Now, my friends, as I said at the very beginning, this is utterly, totally countercultural. Because everything, this society in which we live in, particularly in the Western world, is telling us it's all about the money. It's all about the possessions. It's all about this comfort and that entertainment. It's all for you. This is, you can have it your way. And Jesus says, that's not the way I want you to think about it. I want you to think that this is the least important aspect of your life. What we possess, my friends, matters little compared to our spiritual needs and concerns. How much money you make, what kind of car you drive, the clothes that you wear, the house that you live in, these things are not what is most important. 
may remember just a couple of uh, chapters ago in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15 that Jesus gives the parable of the rich fool, the man who says, well, I've been blessed exceedingly. I'm just going to eat, drink, and be happy the rest of my days. And Jesus said, you fool. But he gives his disciples, notice, his disciples this warning. Take heed, he says. That's like putting up the red flashing lights. Take heed, pay attention. This is important. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things. That he possesses. You will not hear that from the world in which we live. You will hear it from the Bible. The Bible tells us the physical things are the least important. And I don't think it's necessary for me at this point to demonstrate that to you. The Bible is literally from start to finish full. Of, of words and, and commands and instruction that are spiritual needs. Brethren, there's nothing more important tonight than your relationship to Jesus Christ. Are you trusting him? Are you believing in him? Are you serving him? Nothing is more important than that. And if you are, then the time you spend in prayer, the time that you give to reading and studying and learning the word of God, the time that you spend seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that's what's important. So what Jesus is reminding us here is that these worldly possessions are the least important things. In our lives. And therefore, in verse 10, notice how he puts it in making reference to those physical things he who is faithful in that which is least is faithful in that which is much. These physical things are the least important. Though they are the least important, they are still important. And so we need to weigh how we use them. We want to use them wisely, but we want to think of them biblically. You must be faithful in that which is least physical possessions before you can be faithful in that which is much spiritual riches. And so what Jesus is doing is highlighting here, yes, this is the least important, but it is still important. And faithful service to Christ includes being faithful and using everything we have wisely. Paul tells the Corinthians that the Spirit of God dwells in you and your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What's interesting there is that he uses the you in the plural. He's not just dealing with individuals. He's saying all of you. 
you plural, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. How we live day by day in the physical realm still matters. Secondly, worldly possessions are the most dangerous concern of our lives. Verse 11 of our text refers to our worldly possessions as unrighteous money, unrighteous possessions or wealth. Not that money or possessions of whatever kind they might be are sinful in and of themselves. They are unrighteous in this sense. And again, I don't have to explain this. Worldly possessions have the tendency to stir up our fleshly natures and desires. They have the tendency, my friends, sadly, to lead us away from God rather than closer to him. Worldly possessions have a strange and bewitching way, ability to capture our hearts and our affections. This is why Jesus could say it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God because this world and those worldly possessions have a way of wrapping their tentacles all around our life and controlling it and dominating it. They have the way of of capturing our affections and, and wrapping us up like I'm sure many of you are familiar with the movie 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea that came out in 1954. It has a giant squid that wraps its tentacles around the submarine and is seeking to destroy the people inside. Now that's pretty fictitious. But my friends, it's not fictitious to think about this world. And those worldly possessions that capture our affections. Which is why John, in 1 John 2.15, says, Stop loving the world and the things that are in the world. Those things, brethren, can take you away from God. And we must never forget that the riches of this world stand in stark contrast to the true riches that Jesus mentions here. So much so that even the disciples of Jesus are often lured like the the mythological siren songs that lured the sailors closer and closer to the rocky shores that would lead to their death. And so this world draws us after it. King David, Psalm 62.10, 
says words that are worthy of frequent meditation. He says, if riches increase, if God blesses you, don't set your heart on them. He warns of how they capture our affections. Solomon, I love the way he puts it, riches have a way of making themselves wings and they will fly away. How quickly things can change for us with worldly riches. Thirdly, worldly possessions are the most deceitful concern of our lives. Here again is where I was thinking of this parable of the sower. And Jesus talks about the the wayside, the hard paths where people walk. Nothing's going to grow there. He talks about the stony ground that's very shallow earth and therefore things spring up but then quickly die away. And then he talks about the thorny ground. And he says this specifically, that the cares of this life And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. My friends, I'm glad you're here tonight. You're here to hear the word of God. You're here to let that seed fall on the ground of your heart. But listen to me. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ when he says the cares of this life And the deceitfulness of riches can choke that word and make it unfruitful. We must be very diligent and careful lest we begin to think like this unfaithful steward. That this is all about me. It's my money. It's my life. It's my pleasure. And I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. We need to think biblically and realize that everything we are and everything we have belongs to God. It's his gift to us. And we are to use it for his glory. Well, let me come to our final point, that is bringing your worldly possessions into submission. Our Savior closes this parable of the unfaithful steward with some very sobering words in verse 13. He says, no one can serve two masters. And to narrow it down at the very end, he says, you cannot serve God and money. It can't be done. Make no mistake, my friends. Worldly possessions are not just dangerous. They are not just deceitful. Satan's goal is to use them And make them your master. He wants to use them to thoroughly control everything you do. He wants it to consume all of your time. 
I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to study and grow my soul because I've got to go to work. I've got to do this and this and this and this for more money. My friends, money wants to rule over you. And you must bring it into submission. Not just to your will, but to the will of Christ. You can't serve God and money. You have to choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. God or worldly pleasures, worldly possessions, worldly comforts, worldly enjoyments. Bring your possessions, if God has blessed you with them, much or little, bring them all into submission to Christ and live for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, how easy it is for us to become distracted, for us to follow the lure of this world and its comforts and its sinful pleasures. We ask that this night you would strengthen us in our souls to be vigilant, to be faithful stewards, to serve our master and king with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. Lord, we thank you for that work of grace that you have brought us into your family. We pray that you would enable us day in and day out to be faithful in the way we use all that you've given us for the glory of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.